You're listening to the Jazz Session with my dad, Jason Crane. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 358. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to today's show. They are online at respectsextet.com. Thanks to Dave Rabel for designing the logo. You'll find him at twitter.com slash Dave Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. All About Jazz has a widget for this show. You can go to allaboutjazz.com and in the search box type in Jazz Session Widget. And then install that on your website, and if you do, it will display the latest episode of the Jazz Session. And when you do that, let me know, because I'll mention you in my newsletter, which goes out each week. To get that newsletter, go to thejazzsession.com and click on Mailing List. Just type your name and email into the box, and I will send that to you at the end of each week, and it's got links to that week's shows and also some other links of note from the jazz world. While you're at the website, please join the show. The show is free to listen to, but it's not free to make. So if you would become a member, it would help ensure the show's longevity. You can do it for as little as 10 bucks a month, but actually at the middle or upper level, the next two folks to join at those levels, which is either $25 or $50 a month, or in a year lump sum, $250 or $500 a year, at those two levels, the next two people to join will receive a free copy of Anthony Wilson's CD-DVD set, Seasons. And of course, if you join at the top level, you'll be mentioned on every single show, just like the folks I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Please review the show in iTunes. It's simple, it's fast, it's easy, and it helps the show rise up in the iTunes rankings, and that means it's more and more likely that someone else will discover it just the way you did. If you hate the show, maybe don't review it in iTunes if that's okay. I'm also a poet. You can go to jasoncrane.org and decide whether that statement is true. And I have got a book there as well, uh, which you can get in the store. I think it's 14 bucks with shipping and handling. It might be 16 I can't remember. Either way, it uh, is a great deal, and you can you know balance out a coffee table or whatever seems appropriate with a copy of Unexpected Sunlight. My guest today is the great drummer Billy Hart. He's been on so many of the classic recordings, and he's got a fantastic new album on ECM Records called all our reasons. Now, I did this interview at Billy's house uh, down in his very cool basement, and right at the beginning of the interview, the doorbell rang, and he had to go and deal with someone who came to the door. And normally, whenever that happens, I just let the tape – it's not tape, of course, but I still call it tape because I'm old. I just let the tape run, and then I edit out the silence you know, later in production. This time, for some reason, I stopped and started the tape again. And then when I transferred all these files to my computer, I forgot to transfer the first few minutes of the interview. However, if the interview was maybe 45 minutes long and 42 minutes of it, I still have. So all you're missing is me welcoming him to the show and asking him some question. And then in that, in that question or in his response to that question, he talks about, I think, a more European sound to the record. And then that's where we join the conversation already in progress with Billy Hart.
back. You uh, you said a few minutes ago that you thought that perhaps the this record had a more European sound. Can you expand on that just a little bit? What what the hallmarks of that might be in this case? Uh, that's a good question. Now that I've opened my mouth <laughs> and put my foot in it, um, uh, um, there's sort of a of a pristine kind of sound that that uh that ECM has um a uh, a sort of a more of a high register projection rather than a low projection you know more treble than than bass i, I that's the first thing that comes to my mind you know that doesn't mean you don't hear the bass. It just means you hear the bass with a with sort of a a cleaner sound or a higher pitch, low sound, if that's a possibility. Sure. You know, and and that's what I think about because when I first started the recording for Manfred, I remember him saying that he really liked. Uh, my cymbal sound, you know, I mean, from the first time, I mean, the first meeting, he said, man, I like, I like your cymbals, you know, as opposed to, you know, when you think of the, the American pop culture or whatever, you, the first thing you hear is the bass drum and the bass first, mm. right? And that is ingrained in the, I think, in the American sound. I mean, even when you think of the, history of so-called jazz music uh, you know you hear stories about Gene Krupa uh, having uh, conflicts with the earlier record companies because he wanted to use the bass drum more but the, in those days the bass drum would knock the needle off of the recording thing so uh as far as he was concerned, and of course, you know, people like Baby Dodds, you, they weren't getting a true jazz sound because you couldn't have a deeper bass drum. In other words, a, a, a deeper bass drum was preferable towards American music and maybe even in the history of the music period. You know, when you think of the marching bands in New sure. Orleans and stuff with the bass drum. But certainly in this day and age, it's almost like the uh, the projection of, of dance music or pop music is the the bass drum and the bass is more out front in a you know in a really kind of uh, you know dark sound and I think uh, ECM isn't that.
It's interesting that you say that because I mean I grew up listening to my primarily to my grandfather's record collection, which was mostly swing big mm. band records, and I remember always thinking I so would have loved to have gotten to be in the room instead of just hearing this because I feel like I'm missing kind of right. half of the bottom end right. of the band while right. I'm listening to it. Uh, and so it's it's interesting to hear that idea about the evolution of where the sound is placed, mm. and also to hear about Manfred saying that about your symbols because. It, on this record, and in fact in many recent things I've heard you do, it strikes me very much that you – a big part of what you do these days, and feel free to correct me, uh, but is kind of create almost like a musical context or surrounding or or shell uh, in which other things are happening rather than always feeling the need to just always be pushing or holding down time. or even It's not that the time isn't present, mm. but that it seems like you feel freer to be other places and to well, I, I use the drums I, more extensively. I think I know what you mean. Uh, is that a question? <laughs> I don't know if it's a question. Well, maybe yeah, maybe you can tell me if you think uh, I'm right at all or if oh, I'm totally no, no, off base. No, I understand what, what you mean. Um, uh, I, to go back to the original question, I myself actually have sort of thought of thought of myself as more of a of a cymbal player also even though i've played a lot of pop music in my earlier years sure you know but i've always heard the uh i heard the the rhythm on the cymbals you know even from my earliest years and you know so yes i think of myself as as sort of a, if not necessarily harmonic player, but a, a an environmental mm. player. You know, I've always could see the music uh, or think of the music in terms of uh, of visions of rain or you know grass or you know things like that. You know. How does that, for example, how does that play out in the recording uh, of a record like All Our Reasons when you're actually in the studio, and this has compositions by everyone in the band, but when you're playing one of your tunes, do you give those kind of descriptive cues, almost like programmatic or environmental kind of cues to the band? Or no? no, I don't. I mean, not verbally. Sure. But, uh, you know, some of my uh, contemporary heroes, I think they, they were able to do that naturally. You know, I think Max Roach and Philly Joe Jones and Art Blakey and Elvin Jones and Tony Williams, uh, you know, I think they were, they had a way of of hearing music uh, like that anyway. And, and just the way they uh, used the instrument would encourage uh, the, that reflection from the other members. Mm. You know, uh, certainly, you know, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, Coltrane and, and Elvin, you know, 
you know, he would hit a certain drum, it would seem to respond to a sort of harmonic and, you know, if not melodic reflection, I guess. Mm-hmm. In other words, certainly the other, the other instruments that other musicians could tell what he was hearing musically just by the way he hit the drums. I think, I, I, or I, you know, I can't say for sure. I never talked to him about it, but you know, but you hear guys talking about uh, hearing their instrument in terms of colors. You know, green, blue, red, or whatever. You know, so yeah, I guess I think of things like that. talk about how the four of you got together i know it was originally uh, uh kind of under a different billing uh, well the, the, the way uh, ethan seems to see it <laughs> you know <laughs> was that it was some kind of destiny that uh that they liked uh they liked the way i perceive the the the, the 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 band, you know, the way I looked at the music, the, the, you know, now you see the way I played the band. So they they evidently responded to that, you know, musically uh, enough to think that that was a strong enough presence to be to to uh, lead the band, I guess. Mm. Well, I wish I was more articulate. Today. I'm very sorry. <laughs> oh, that's totally <laughs> fine. You know, um, but it seems like, uh, yeah, it seems that's, that's uh, according to Ethan and and evidently the other members of the band sort of felt that the way I uh, played the instrument or or the way my the way I played the instrument reflected the music from their standpoint. It was enough for them to think of me as a as a possible leader for the group you know and certainly I was inspired by the way they played enough to respond to their playing in a in a specific way which seemed to be more 
like the way I actually hear music、mm. in general, closer to my natural way of hearing music. Which is that kind of、uh, that coloration or textural yes, approach yes, we were talking、yes. about? I didn't use the word texture, but that's a, a very accurate description. Do you feel like the way has the way that you hear music changed over the years, or has it just been that you haven't always been in settings where the way you hear music is what the band leader has wanted you to play? Exactly that way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not as direct as that because.、Um, Music is so is so beautiful in so many different ways. So it's always going to be rewarding, you know. But some things seem to come more naturally to to you, and and、uh, so I can think of、uh, certain situations I've been in where it wasn't that natural to me. But the reward for that was the great lesson I got.、Mm. You know, in other words, by、um, by、uh, dealing with something that wasn't natural,、uh, it taught me such a great lesson that a certain part of it actually did become natural at a time. And so then it gets to when it's a time like it is now, then I'm reminded of what I was thinking about originally. You know, with this band, yeah, and with this recording, with this situation, you know, remind, you know, it's like,、uh, you know, remembering. Wow, this is, yeah, this is the way. I, this is the way I hear it. This is the way I've been thinking like this all the time. And on the other hand, it's a culmination of all the other experiences at the same time, because you still end up at certain at at a certain point. Being yourself, or finding yourself through these different、uh, experiences. Sure. For example, in the back of my mind, when I'm asking that question, I'm thinking of like your time with Wes Montgomery or or Jimmy Smith、That's、as examples、exactly、of what I was、thinking. okay <laughs> as examples of like maybe non Billy Hart, and I'm making air quotes. I don't really even know what that means, but、mm-hmm. but not what I think of as you as a drummer.、Mm-hmm. And yet, I wonder: Do you find things from that period? That surface now, in addition to just bandstand oh, lessons, but oh, do you find oh, musical things oh, that surface oh, now? For sure. First of all, those were two geniuses. Sure. And、uh, and so what they、uh, what they encouraged,、uh, you know, without being too academic, what they encouraged was such great lessons, you know, like you know how to.、Um, You know how to、uh, play in the tradition in all these different ways, because ultimately that's what, what we're doing anyway. We're playing this American music, this American style music that has a tradition to it. You know,、uh, not unlike、uh, Coltrane said something. He said,、um, he said.、Uh, Every culture on the planet has a folk music and a classical music, and so it's it's not an unnatural thing that 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 America would develop its own folk and classical music. So there's a tradition、uh, inbred in the way we all play now that 
it goes back at least uh, to the Industrial Revolution, you know, if not, you know, before that, you know, mm. when before all of us were non-Americans, you know. Uh, so, you know, so you get bits and pieces of that that gives you a certain depth or, or cultural strength that you can uh, reflect in your music. Does that make sense? It does. And I wonder, do you feel that it's important to have that grounding in the tradition, even if what your own, I don't necessarily mean you, but even if what a musician's own musical goal is, is to then discard it or go past it or not reflect it in their playing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because it, it gives you, it gives you depth. It gives you depth. You know, you, you see, hear all those stories, which I'm sure, you know, that say, you know, if you don't know your history, you're doomed to repeat it. Sure. You're more doomed to repeat it if you don't know it. Right. So if if you think that's something you're trying to get away from or feel like you're attracted to something uh, else, then then you're going to be trapped just by that. Mm. It seems to be... Uh, you know, I remember talking to Tony Williams one time, and he said, there is no freedom without discipline. You know? And I mean, I liked his f f philosophies. You know? And I mean, as he he's not the only one that says that in many different ways. Yeah, I think it gives you depth if you're trying to um, express yourself. You want to ex express it with as much meaning, with as much honesty, as, as much truth as you can, I should think. Mm. I, I mean, I, I can't think of a, a wanting to express yourself and not want to express it. <laughs> right. that way. Yeah. The drummer uh, Barry Elshul was on the show about a month ago, and he was saying that if, uh, th to him, freedom means the freedom to play anything. So that if you're if you're playing squeaks and honks and that's all you're playing, then you're not free because you have to be free to to not do that. Too, I wonder if that. Oh, I resonates. see. Yeah. Well, that's one way of saying. Sure. It. 
Yeah, you know, that's one way of saying uh, that's, uh, that's just one way of saying the same thing. Right. <laughs> so, and certainly Barry is, a, you know, a hero of mine, too, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it uh, things seem to go in cycles mm. where, you know, you keep returning to, you know, they say that uh, every generation transforms art into its own image. So my take on it is it's not the art that changes, it's the image. The depth and the wisdom comes from this... Uh, this deep love that brings wisdom and understanding I guess <laughs> yeah. uh, is this this band feels at least from the compositions and the interaction it feels kind of like a, a collective is it is it run that way or is it uh... yeah for sure for sure because I, I they already embody what what I would if I could be articulate about what I would want from sidemen, right? People have asked me sometimes, you know, like because I'm a, a teacher, you know, a bassist will come to me and say, well, what are you looking for in a, in a, in a bass player? And I'll, I mean, I can be more articulate if you, if you want to, you know, in a, in an academic way if you want that but basically uh, Ben just happens to have what I would suggest to a, a, a student bass player this is what I would prefer in a basis so assuming I just asked you that question what would you tell me if you if you made it more academic make it more academic for me and tell me what it is you're looking for well I'm, I, I love the acoustic bass you know I love, I'm not more uh, just in the sound, I like I like the wood. You know, I like I like if you're playing. You know, you're basically playing these acoustic instruments. You know, so I I like that sound. I prefer that sound. But but I also have extremely contemporary leanings. So and those leanings seem to be seem to mean to me. Uh, uh, being more familiar with the musics of other cultures, which is just beginning to come, say, since the 40s, influential in our music, like uh, like Afro-Caribbean music. You know, at one time it might have been just Cuban music or, or maybe just Puerto Rican music or maybe just Brazilian music. Uh, but now it's all of those, and and certainly Indian music. Now it's all of those. They're they're, they're highly influential in our music now, right? So I, even before it has gotten to this point, I was already looking for somebody like that, mm. and it just so happens without even specifically looking. At Ben, he had all of that, has all of that. So it was nothing to say. He was, he was just there doing it. So it's it no way to say, man, why don't you do this? He would do it anyway, you know. And the same thing uh, in terms of uh, Mark Turner. 
if you've heard any of my other records, uh, because of the way I compose, I compose from the, or the fact that I like lyrical music. I like the, the fact that Coltrane would take, uh, uh, a basic standard Broadway style tune and elaborate, elaborate on it in very, uh, contemporary ways. I mean, not just the usual jazz improvisation way. I mean, a way more advanced academic harmonic, harmonic ways. So the lyricism for me, or, or a person that can play extremely lyrical, or the more lyrical, the even the better for me. I like uh, uh, musicians that can play like great singers. Now, I know a lot of people say that, but uh, a lot of people don't do that, right? Mark Turner happens to be extraordinarily lyrical. And I'm, I'm, I'm very touched by that. I'm very moved by that. And I've chosen people in, in previous records just for their lyricism. Mm -hmm. You know, I love Eddie Henderson because he's so lyrical. You know, I, I love, uh, well, of course, I love John Coltrane. A lot of people hear Coltrane, but what I heard was the lyricism. And I've heard that he said many times if he could have been a vocalist, he wouldn't have played the saxophone. And, 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 and some of my records that I've made, I actually used uh, at least three of my recordings, if I remember correctly. I used a violinist because I like that lyricism that you can get. Um, you know, lyricism is one word, but it's another word I'm looking for. Um, I can't think of it now. Maybe I'll come back. But it means to be... Uh, Rhapsodic mm. is, yeah, I like that. I personally like that. That's, you know, that's, you know, can get pretty, you know, uh, pedestrian. I, I, I hate to use the word pedestrian, but yeah, like like that. But uh, but on the other hand, that's something I really like. I I really like. Uh, people that sing on the instrument and uh mark turner has that and he seems to have that but with a with an edge to it i mean it's not it's not purely well that's uh, what i'm saying yeah, yeah not purely yeah. lyrical right it has some some grounding well i mean it's, it's, well, you can say that same thing about coltrane <laughs> i guess so yeah some people with coltrane <laughs> never even heard the lyricism they only heard the edge fair enough <laughs> but i heard the lyricism you know i mean i hear that you know I hear the lyricism in Ornette, you know, I just, I, that's the way I hear it, you know. I mean, that's the part that I respond to. So consequently, that's the way I, I play my instrument is in support of that kind of concept. Where does that come from? Were you, is that from listening to a lot of singers as a kid or where, where is that the appreciation of lyricism in your background? I have the slightest idea. I mean, I can think of things that might have had something to do with it. My grandmother was a concert pianist in the uh, European classical sense. So I grew up having a somewhat remote familiarity 
with the basic European classical repertoire. Okay. Plus, she was an accompanist for uh, an opera singer named uh, Marian Anderson. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. So you know, I you know, I sort of grew up around that kind of thing. Although <laughs> my mother was more of a Jimmy Lunsford fan, and my father was more of a Duke Ellington. But all that was around the house, you know. There wasn't that much television, you know, when I was growing up. And so I, you know, I heard music in that way. So not to divert this conversation, but your grandmother was Marian Anderson's accompanist? She, at at a certain period of time, was Marian Anderson's accompanist. That's pretty fantastic. Well, (laughs) if you want to look at it like that. Yeah, Yeah, I I do. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, so that brings up people like Paul Robeson. Sure. And, you know, and, and there was a member of the, I'm trying to think of the family that was also, uh, who's still uh, Afro-American, but a major symphony conductor. And what's his name? Ah, I can't think of his name. Jimmy, Jimmy DePriest, mm. James DePriest. He's been a conductor of the Washington, you know, Washington, D.C., National Symphony. And, you know, probably one of the few Anyway, he comes out of that sure. situation, which is part of my family, I guess. Back to this idea of finding, for example, uh, these particular qualities in a bassist or in, a, in a, a horn player, are you then bringing into your band people you already know can play like that, or are you just trying people out and seeing well, if it well, fits? I'm, I'm, before this, I would bring people into my band that d- did that. But in this situation, remember, the band was already there. Right. So I'm just saying that's why I'm saying it was sort of... Uh, fortuitous i mean i just looked around and they were there you know so it's hard to it's hard to you know in other words you you brought it up you said well you had an idea of how the right. band got started and you said is that so and i said yes it is so now we're saying why it is so right they just happened to have the qualities mm. that that worked yeah well, for me sure and then they decided somehow to make me the leader. 
Oh, that's great. Uh, you mentioned that you just uh, came back from Europe and fairly soon you're leaving again. Can you talk about what you were doing and what you're about to be doing? Well, you know, I'm 70 years old. So I've been doing this now for a length of time. So I've, at a certain point, uh, being a, a sideman isn't, uh, I'm sort of no longer that. I'm playing a lot of bands, but I'm not, you know, that subordinate, I guess. Sure. So I guess you would say that I'm in more kind of all-star bands, even if the public doesn't see that way, even if some of the booking agents don't see it that way. <laughs> so this particular band that I just came back from is called The Cookers. Oh. And they have, uh, you know, musicians that have my highest respect. Now that you know what I like, I mean, Cecil McBee is the bassist. And a lot of people, you know, I guess if you don't, if, you, if you're not in touch with the music for the last 50 years, you'll have a tendency to not remember Cecil McBee the way I do. But I really think he's one of the original contemporary bass players. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I should just mention uh, that actually you are the only member of the Cookers who's not been on this show, and that was my mistake, my fault, because last year I did a series of Mondays where every Monday was a member of the Cookers. Oh, I didn't know that. And you were the last one, and uh, w in fact, I think, we had gone as far as maybe setting up an interview that I didn't realize was actually confirmed, and I didn't go. So... You haven't been on, and you're the only member of the Cookers who hasn't been on. So, uh, first of all, I guess I should apologize for you not being on last year. But in any case, for people who are interested in the Cookers who you were just playing with, they've all been on the show. And if folks go in the archives, there's an interview with every one of them. Oh, wow. Uh, on so, the band, maybe, so. I, maybe I don't need to say anything. <laughs> but I have the highest respect for these guys. Uh, I, and somehow, I feel, maybe because I'm personally attached, that they've been every single one of them has been grossly overlooked. Mm. I mean, if there's, I mean, Billy Harper, I mean, he's, who's more lyrical than that? I mean, and who has more of an edge? Who's a, who is a more interesting composer? I mean, with, uh, with all kinds of instruments, whether it be, uh, a, a, a chamber orchestra situation or a vocal choir. I mean, Harper is uh, Harper is an institution in himself. Cecil McBee is one of the original. But if if uh, if Ron Carter or Charlie Hayden or well, think of a younger guy, uh, Christian McBride. I mean, if these guys are, are interesting players, then Cecil McBee is an innovator. I mean, he's one of the original. Modern guys are more like uh, Scott LaFarrell or Gary Peacock or, you know, you know, Ron Carter, you know, I mean, Paul Chambers. I mean, Cecil McBee is amazing to perform with these guys every night. Well, now we're talking more about the cookers. <laughs> but Eddie Henderson, who's more lyrical than that. In fact, Eddie, as when I couldn't get Eddie for one of my projects is when I decided to get a violinist because I couldn't think of anybody else that uh, could be as lyrical. Hmm. 
right? So, Craig Handy, uh, you know, these these guys. I mean, anyway. So that's that's one band I'm with. Sure. You know, then I'm in you know a few other bands, but I mean certainly I would consider that an all star band. Yeah, I would I would say <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> you know uh, that I'm in I'm in um, I'm in a French band. Uh, with a guy uh, named Stefan Belmondo, I guess is his, under his leadership, but Kirk Lightsey is the pianist. And there is yet is a, another institution. I mean, a wonderful pianist. Uh, uh, I'm in uh, an Austrian band. Uh, with a guy named Karl Heinz McLean. I've been playing with him twenty years. And he's a great composer and a great saxophone player and a very modern thinker, you know. And and I, I can go on and on. I mean, I'm just, you know, I've been many years playing with all these different bands. Hey, Jason, this is Billy Hart. I must have been unconscious yesterday because three very important bands that I'm in that I didn't get a chance to mention when you asked me, which is, uh, number one, the group Quest, you know, Q-U-E-S-T, with Ron McClure, Richie Byrack, and Dave Liebman. I've been in that band on and off for 30 years. And, you know, we must have made at least 10 recordings, maybe 15. And then in that same genre, there's a band called the Saxophone Summit that was originally uh, uh, Dave Liebman, Joe Lovano, and Michael Brecker, with now Michael Brecker being replaced by Robbie Coltrane, with Cecil McBee and Phil Markowitz referred to as the Saxophone Summit. And we've... Uh, released two CDs and there's a third one that hasn't been released yet. And those are really important parts of my career and my concept for what I've been, you know, what I've been doing, you know, recently in the last 30 years anyway. And of course, the last thing is this uh, group called Contact with uh, John Abercrombie uh, Mark Copeland and Drew Gress, and again, Dave Liebman, who we just finished playing at, at Birdland two weeks ago. And, and of course, with or without Liebman, we've made four CDs, and the group is called Contact. So I hope it's not too late to mention that uh, in terms of the interview, but at least you should know that anyway. All right, and thank you again for being uh, such an inspiration yesterday. See you later. Thank you. 
to ask you about the education side of your life also uh this is kind of an area we talk about on this show a lot but about the way that the academy has to some degree taken on the role that uh you know going on the road with an established player might have 20 or 30 or 40 years ago i wonder where you see the role of uh, of the academic jazz system these days uh, and whether it is an effective replacement for what people used to do on the road. Well, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reacting like an older person. I, I don't think there's really a, a replacement for that, mm-hmm. for actual contact. But I think also that's uh, if a music is going to be celebrated as a classical music, acknowledged as a classical music, one of the penalties for that is you're going to have to uh, give up a certain amount of individuality. Hmm. You know, because it'll because it'll be academic. It will say, "Well, this is the right way to do this." You know that you know, according to boom, 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 boom this seems to be the classical way to do this. You know, whether it was, uh, you know, whether it was Ravi Shankar or Dudu and Dye Rose in Africa, uh, you know, whoever the Chinese equivalent is, at a certain point, it's it was so impressive that it seemed to be the best way to do something. And so... If if you're in, in an academic institution, you know the tendency is to mention just those guys. If you're in a European institution, it's going you're going to mention Mozart, as if there weren't ten other equivalents, or Litz, or or, or, or Stravinsky, or Wagner. You know. You know, Beethoven, you know, Verdi, uh, you know, you know, but of course, you know, the, the beauty that we still have for the moment is that we can go any place and discover some guy we never saw before. And that's say, man, wow, did you hear? I just heard this. I just heard this guy, you know, that, that, where did he come from? You know, uh, I just think that's uh, being in academic institutions, you're going to lose some of that. Oh, you, yeah, I mean, some of it. I mean, you, you, you know, of course, there's going to be certain guys that flourish in that situation. But I just don't think it, it will be nearly as much as when you had all these different ideas and different prejudices if you want you know like well i don't think this guy is so hot but 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 another guy said but he's original he's so he's different he's got something exciting something mm-hmm. that's new 
So are we, is innovation in the music slowing down as a result of it being well, academic? Well, I think there's different kinds of innovations. They're, you know, uh, I think in an academic situation, you're going to have more technical innovations. You know, and and for whatever that means, whatever technique means to you, whether it means facility or, or whatever, you know. But uh, but in terms of the human process, mm-hmm. and when you think of these kids that, uh, I mean, that uh, what do you call them, rappers or whatever, but, I mean, they're rappers and poets and, uh, uh, people like that, but look at the people that uh, were able to um, explain their situations from being in jail, from being criminals, and these people have become innovative. Uh, I guess, if you, for want of a better word, innovative musicians. You know, I mean, and they were. They were just uh, describing their their lifestyle. There's a certain human situation you're not going to get in academia, or or it would seem that to me. Since uh, since Coltrane's name has come up a lot, like for example, it seems hard to imagine a Love Supreme or the later kind of ecstatic works coming out of an academic setting. And I know I'm painting with a very mm-hmm. broad brush here, but. I mean, those seem like almost purely human expressions. Oh, right. Yeah, philosophical. Um, yeah, you know, his. Yeah, definitely. You can you can see it from you can see it from his heart. You can see that he was um, inspired to put in that that amount of work, that amount of dedication. You know, that was done by uh, that kind of passion. You know, he was motivated, was deeply motivated, you know, in a way that uh, that was his own academics, his own uh, uh, way of doing it. I mean, I don't know. If I, as an instructor, uh, could motivate somebody on that level, then uh, then that's another story. You know. Is there anything you say to your students to encourage them to connect with the human side of what they do and not just to focus always on the technique? Oh, of course. <laughs> I tell them to listen to Coltrane. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, you know I, I just said that to a kid uh, yesterday. I, I said, Coltrane, I, because he had already suggested himself, I just uh, acknowledged the fact that I love Coltrane so much because he proved it can be it can be accomplished by hard work. Mm. It can be done that way if you're motivated to work that hard to gain that to develop that kind of discipline. If you know from you know from this divine, uh, you know. This divine passion, this spirit, spiritual, you know, way of, you know, that kind of uh, intelligence that comes from comes from love, mm. I think. 
My guest is Billy Hart. He's got a new record on ECM called All Our Reasons with Ethan Iverson, Mark Turner, and Ben Street. And it's uh, it's been such a, an honor and a pleasure to spend time with you. Thanks for doing it. An that. honor and pleasure has been mine. <laughs> Thank you so much, <laughs> you, you know, you. for your for your inspiration. I mean, to know that there's people like you that are really interested in something, you know, you, you help make what I think I'm trying to do have some value well thank Thank you you. thank you very much That's music from Billy Hart and his new ECM recording, All Our Reasons. Thanks so much to Billy for being on the show. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do become a member. Help keep me living indoors and eating food, two things I very much enjoy. The the latter I enjoy more than is probably good for me. But uh, you can do that by becoming a member. And then, please... Keep the music alive by getting out there and supporting live jazz whenever and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.